And here we go. Screen Heat Miami. We are back again. I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm J.L. Martinez. And this is another week in the bunker. Still in lockdown in Miami. More lockdown. Yes, more lockdowns. We had a little bit of a reprieve. Now we're back in. So if you hear any of my sort of baby talk in the background, that is an actual baby. Uh, that is not, uh, <laughs> that's not an audio mix issue. That is a real live baby. Uh, just in we case you were wondering. We know the babies. <laughs> my, me, the, the same here. If yeah. you're a baby in the background, we have a new baby in the house. So. Hey, yeah. Yeah. But we're right. moving. We're, we're moving. moving. We yes, thought we, we were going to be out and they keep pulling us back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a, a mandate in Miami-Dade County that they are going to reclose restaurants uh, and obviously any other entertainment venues as well as gyms at least for the time being. Beaches were closed over the 4th of July weekend. Those are supposed to tentatively reopen tomorrow, uh, but we are still in the thick of the fight here in Miami-Dade County. And, you know, obviously, first and foremost, uh, we wish the best for everyone out there listening to us, both locally and all over the world. This is a global pandemic after all. And just, you know, be safe and take care of each other, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're looking at other places around the world and their numbers are going down. Uh, our, our numbers are rising. So if you live in the States, you're wondering exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's not just our industry, but it's so many industries that are affected. Um, Jeff Bezos is $387 billion richer. So <laughs> I guess he's doing okay. But for mm -hmm. the most part, you know, just about every industry is affected. So you know, I definitely want to reach out to everyone listening and, uh, you know, give you my heart and my blessings. Uh, we will get through this diligently and, um, you know, hopefully we can add an air of uh, uh, lightheartedness a bit in, in this challenging times as we move through to our first guest. Uh, yes, which is an amazing guest. All of them have been A-class superstars. This one, you know, really hits home to me because I actually am still with an agency, um, not a Los Angeles agency, but I started my career as an actor and a model. So I've been with many, many agencies and I kind of understand that system. And JL, you actually worked in an agency, is is that I right, did. sir? Yes, I I started my career in LA at a talent. I was at ICM International Creative Management, now known as ICM Partners, in the motion picture production division, uh, which was just a great run. I always say that that's my master's in film and media in the industry is is my three and a half years at ICM, uh, which is great. I still keep in touch with some of my former colleagues. Uh, they're all doing amazing work. They've all gone on to become executives and producers and agents in their own right. So, and plus all the talent we represented that I still see their credits, you know, uh, every time I go see a movie or a TV show, I'm always looking for one or two former clients are like, Hey, I know that guy. <laughs> or, you know, she is fantastic. Costume designers are the best, by the way, we used to re represent a lot of them. And so if you want to know what's going on on a set, the best source of gossip on any set we know is always hair, makeup and hair costumes. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Yeah, yeah, Love hanging are. out in those places. Oh, so yes. um, our guest for this week, she's actually, uh, you know, had many hats 
Yeah. Worn many hats, yeah. It's uh, Sander Avila, who is currently a manager at Inclusion uh, Management, which is an LA-based uh, uh, talent management that specializes in diverse film and TV screenwriters and directors. Uh, but she also had her own production company, Avila Entertainment, uh, in addition to overseeing film and TV production for Maya Entertainment. And before that, she was a development executive at Showtime Networks. Yeah, I'm loving Showtime right now, too. Showtime, you know, Homeland just finished its run. Uh, Penny Dreadful, which I've been watching and I love it. And, you know, our guest last week, Adriana Barraza, Mi Corazon, um, is there on Penny Dreadful and she's really holding it down. She's a centerpiece of of that show. Um, And I've been digging in on Billions lately, which is another one of my favorite shows. So uh, Showtime is knocking it out of the box. And, you know, anytime I hear uh, some word about the way that that network has developed, it uh, really um, shows me how these things move. So this next episode, um, you know, really hits home. But speaking of hitting home, I'd like to hit home with our sponsors. Oh, yes. Cannot forget our wonderful sponsors, of course. Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. The Miami Media and Film Market. And Camacol. Camacol. Yes. Uh, sorry. Camacol. <laughs> you you got to give it a little sazon con Goya. <laughs> yeah, right. That's going to evolve. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be listening. like, go. by the time we're done (laughs) oh yeah lots of great 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 things that obviously all these organizations are doing that help bring you the screen heat miami podcast each and every week so shout out to all those sponsors of course joe chi and patty arias and all the great people that that are helping to really make the industry a better place here in miami yes 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 but we are going to go out of miami across the pond Oh, yes, we are. Speaking of our friends and colleagues across the pond, we, uh, we have a very interesting bit of news out of the UK from Variety, which is that the UK is going to offer Hollywood actors and crew an exemption from quarantine rules once they kick off production, which is supposed to happen sometime this month. Uh, and that's a very interesting story because as we've some of us have read in the news, the European Union and Europe in general, obviously the UK kind of being separate now, but still sort of a part of the, I guess, the continent overall. uh, They have an interesting rule in place that, at least for the time being, they're not allowing Americans into Europe. So they are now quarantining themselves from us. We are banned. (laughs) Yes. We are banished. (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but the silver lining there is that if you are a film or media producer and you're going to work in Europe, particularly in the UK, they will welcome you with open arms. I mean, socially distant arms. I, <laughs> I don't know about open arms. <laughs> Maybe mask yeah, face. Very mass face, you know, uh, I guess air fist pump or something. Uh, but you are allowed to go and work. And, you know, one of the biggest projects that has been highlighted is the um, Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise uh, that is shooting, you know, partially in the UK and I believe also in Italy. They have some scenes there as well. And so they will be allowed uh, and be exempt and allowed to go. And, you know, obviously you got to get tested when you get there. But so long as you test negative, 
you can go right to work. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, our good friends, uh, Adrian Wooten, which is our very first Screen Heat Miami podcast. So if you go back and listen to old number one, uh, Adrian was our very special guest. He's a longtime uh, guest of the Miami media and film market. You know, Patty went over there and recruited him, brought him back to Miami. And he's been such a wealth of knowledge locally. Uh, And again, Kevin, you killed it on that interview uh, during the last media market that we had. And so we're very excited to see Adrian making some waves as a British film commissioner. And he says, quote, Today's, I'm not even going to try to do it in his accent. Well, so. I was going to say what happened. <laughs> no Adrian Wooten right, right. accent? All right, not I'll, even I'll an attempt? This is not an Adrian. This will just be a generic British. So just oh, okay. Okay. Today's immensely welcome news is also a clear recognition of the importance of the film and high-end TV inward investment sector to the UK's economy. The sector was worth over three billion pounds, that's 3.75 billion in US dollars in 2019, and has a clear role to play in our economic recovery following the lockdown. Oh, Jerry, oh, that was so good. End quote. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, it's a big industry. Oh, absolutely. And I think as more economies start to reopen, particularly in Europe uh, and, you know, you'll talk about New Zealand and Australia, of course, it is such a driving force in the local economy, because as we know, when a production lands in your region, you know, money moves fast, man. You know, yeah. they're talking on average a feature film dropping 10 million a week. High end TV series could be more per day. It's just so much of a, a, a much needed cash infusion into a local economy between the hiring of local crews and the local vendors and hotel nights if you're flying in crew and, and all the sort of things that go into a production and it's so much money and energy that's pumped into a local economy. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is, you know, an industry that moves fast. It's a clean industry. They say that you want the industry to shoot in your place because they come in, they clean the area for whatever they're shooting. And then when they leave, they leave it better than it was before they came. And just like you said, that cash infusion comes immediately and Mm -hmm. it resonates even after because once your show comes out or once the movie comes out and wherever the place that shot, whether it's, a TV show or whether it's a film um, airs, then your place is highlighted. And that has been proven over and over and over again. Ireland, for example, where Game of the Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of the Thrones, Game of (laughs) (laughs) Thrones. That's a spinoff series. (laughs) That is, that's right. When we get back shooting, Um, where Game of Thrones is shot, it it has um, really uh, catapulted a cottage industry where people come to visit just because of Game of Thrones. Um, It's said that when they shot Bloodline in the Keys, it increased tourism by a thousand percent when it was shooting because people wanted to come and see where the hotel was. They wanted to go to the restaurants where they went. And, you know, so it's an industry that keeps giving and giving and giving. So certainly the people that shoot um, and the people that get the benefits want for that to continue to flow. There is big news coming out of New Zealand, which has been shooting in Australia. They really did not close down too much for production. The Lord of the Rings television show is continuing with 
production. That's going to be on Amazon. Um, they say, and I mentioned Jeff Bezos at the top of the key. Jeff Bezos wanted, and you know, it's all relatable. He wanted what was called a, a Game of Thrones killer. So he's looking for uh, the Lord of the Rings TV series to be his Game of Thrones. And they're, they're shooting. Another one of my favorite animes, Cowboy Bebop. I've been waiting for this. And so that is continuing to shoot. They'll be done with production and then those will be on the air. So there will be a re-up of content. And I'm wondering if this is going to be a marker of things to come. Because in LA, they started production two weeks ago. There were some hiccups because there's protocols that were put in place that, you know, in anything that starts up, it's not so easy to adhere when things first start to these protocols. And you can imagine six feet distancing, masks, you have actors, proximity, you know, there's challenges. So from what I understand, you know, um, the Screen Actors Guild, AFTRA, came to a lot of the sets and, you know, they want to protect the talent. And so they've had to, you know, kind of tamp down on some of those shows. IATSE, which is the union for crews, electricians, grips, and the such. Um, they want to have protocols adhered to, too, because they want to look after their people. So, you know, it's been a bit of a challenge. But you look at some of these other places, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, perhaps, you know, a lot of that content void is going to be filled across the pond and across the lake and the river and, you know, in other places around the world. And that just makes you wonder, you know, if you're a producer here, if you're a content creator here, you know, are you going to have the ability to, until this thing, you know, who knows when it's going to, uh, to uh, flatten, you know, the curve is going to flatten again. You know, you're chomping at the bits. I, I had uh, two shows in production, you know, that we were shooting two docu-reality shows that I've had to just say, you know? Right. So you just Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is obviously a a sort of an unpredictable time, but we do know that, you know, when things do start to get better, that, you know, the production industry, the film, the entertainment, the media, there's such a voracious appetite for it, and they want to ramp up sooner rather than later. They want to get things going. Obviously, it has to be done safely in stages, uh, but we do know that, you know, at some point, hopefully, we can get over this thing and everyone can get back to work and there's going to be so much work to be had once, once things get pumping because we are so far behind. And with so many new outlets, we talk so much about the streaming wars with all the ones that have come out between Netflix and Amazon and then Hulu. And now you have the new players like HBO Max, Peacock, which is dropping soon and there'll be others to come. There is a, a definite need globally for content. And so again, this is an industry that when the time is right, will be part of the engine which will reignite local economies all over the world. So I think that that's that's what we have to look forward to. Obviously, I think we have to do our jobs right now locally, wherever you are, and get over this COVID thing, see if there's a safe way to beat it, to, like you said, bend the curve or flatten the curve and, you know, get back to the things that we love doing. Yeah. You did say something that's key. Looking forward to, there are some things that I am looking forward to in a big way. And I'm going to, I had to put this in before we got to the jump. Mission Impossible. Mm -hmm. 
Mission Impossible is going to start shooting again. That's one of my favorite series of films. They've always kept it fresh. Mm-hmm. I look forward to each one that's coming out. Right. Absolutely. And I'm going to mention another a favorite director, Christopher Nolan. I have been waiting for Tenet. Oh, yes, absolutely. To come out. It says August. I believe August 30th is the date. I'm not sure if they're going to stick to that date now, you know, but man, I can't wait for that thing to come out. I mean, it looks electrifying. I know it's going to be Denzel Washington's son is just, I think, one of the brightest stars in Hollywood today. I can't wait. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait either. And like I said, that's one of the ones that is going to kickstart in UK is going to be shooting in Italy. Uh, but just before the jump, I did want to mention Ennio Morricone. Uh, unfortunately, the great Italian film composer uh, passed away this week, who is, you know, most known for his spaghetti westerns that he did with Sergio Leone, you know, who could forget the good, the bad and the ugly. And just such amazing work that he's done most recently working with uh, more contemporary directors, like obviously with Clint Eastwood and Tarantino doing The Hateful Eight. So really a true legend. Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely are going to miss that hearing his compositions and films, but what a legend. So if you get a chance at some point, listen to some of these old compositions and even his more current ones, cause they are, they're all masterpieces. Absolutely. Yeah. And also listen to our podcast uh, on Carlos Rafael Rivera, who won the Emmy. He won the Emmy for um, Godless, which is the Netflix show. It's a Western. It's a modernized Western. And actually I use Oh, intern Andre has come in. Oh, yes. Oh, I can't I wait. see you, intern Andre. <laughs> so I think we should do this, Kevin. I think we should go to the jump. Let, let our folks hear this great interview with Sandra Avila, and we can come right back, and we can get some, some much-needed news and notes from intern Andre. How's that? Yeah. I just wanted to, um, to add this. The Carlos Rafael Rivera podcast, he is a big fan, you know? And so take a listen to that. Watch Godless if you can. And I use Godless and the Magnificent Seven and even the Seven Samurai, you know, as, as um, sounding points for my students, you know, these Westerns, which, you know, that was a big part of uh, what he did. Um, so that I had to add in there. I'm excited about this upcoming interview, as I said before. So you're right. Let's get this rolling. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, let's do the jump. And we will be right back after Sandra Avila. Boom. Hi, Sandra. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you so much for doing this. And, and I know that we're, we're all adjusting to, I guess, what in Miami they're calling now the, the new normal. That's what the county is officially calling it. Um, I'm not sure if it's new or if it's normal. <laughs> but what are we going to do, right? Exactly. <laughs> Got to uh, go with the flow, the new normal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we're all, we're all adjusting. But it's great to have you here. As I mentioned, you know, we, we would have loved to have had you as a guest at our conference, uh, which was going to take place next month at the Biltmore. Uh, and it's a beautiful venue. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, nice. but yeah, 
but it's uh, you know everyone's doing the right thing now and we're we're happy to have you I'm very lucky to have you by the way uh, you know I've, I've shared some of your amazing credentials with our audience uh, but let's talk a little bit more about you and your journey sort of what you know where were you born where did you grow up so um, I'm Mexican-American I grew up in a small town in uh, South Texas called Edinburgh. Um, it's by the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, you know, 99% Latino and, um, you know, came out to Los Angeles um, after law school. Uh, I really wanted to work in television and film and, and um, that, that was 20 years ago and wow. started working at uh, Showtime pretty quickly um, in TV development and got to be a part of some great stuff while there and ran the Latino Filmmaker Showcase for the network for about four years. Mm. Um, and also got to work on some great shows like Dexter and uh, Nurse Jackie and uh, Barbershop and Resurrection Boulevard <clears throat> uh, before going to work for at a, com- a company that was a startup called Maya Entertainment with Moctezuma Sparza who produced, you know, Selena and Gettysburg and a number of other great studio films. And he was looking to create a company that could cater to the Latino experience, right? Um, That was back in 2008. And so got to actually work with him for four Mm -hmm. years and create some great stuff um, for them before going off and being independent for about six years as a producer and produced Endgame, which I know I sent you the trailer for, which was this great film, family film, that we shot down in the movie too. I just think there's some great stories coming from our respective communities, right? Uh, right. That need to be shared. Um, so, and then about two years ago, I was asked to come in, spearhead um, the launch of a new management company called Inclusion, which is really focused on elevating um, stories from our respective communities in the marketplace, right? So really um, finding those diverse voices, writers and directors, and getting them uh, in front of the right buyers to uh, try to get our stories out there. And that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. It's been great. Well, that's that's a lot for a couple of years, but <laughs> so much body of work that you've been a part of. And, and like you mentioned, definitely some Miami connections, you know, Dexter also being set in Miami. Um, um, you know, I know not all of it was shot here, but definitely a Miami or Florida story uh, for sure. Endgame was shot by the Gulf, uh, but down in South Texas by uh, nearby uh, Brownsville. Oh, right. Yes, Brownsville. So that's, that's more of a Texas story, which is obviously closer to where you're from. Right, right. Exactly. Very cool. And that was, yeah. that was, that was based on a real story or real events, right? I was inspired by this this award-winning chess programs coming out of South Texas hmm. um, that were beating kids from all over the country, and wow. it was so inspirational. I felt like someone should, should shed some light on that. For sure, and you definitely did. It's such a cool movie. Um, obviously, I've seen the trailer. I haven't chance to see the movie yet, but I definitely want to catch it because uh, it seems like the type of inspirational story that we probably need right now. Uh, and it just, you know, it, it just it hits all the marks. And I love the actor. And he's from Modern Family. He's great. Uh, so, yeah. how, how did you cast the film? Well, the director and I, you know, we made it for a budget, so we didn't really have a casting director. We, we, you know, reached out to uh, actors directly through their representatives. Um, and that's how we got Efren Ramirez and Rico Rodriguez, who were rep by the same um, agency at the time. Um, and then Justina Machado also, you know, we reached out to her representation and, and Yvonne Cole. I mean, we just had such a wonderful cast, uh, mm. but it was 
it took some time. And also, so a lot of the kids that are in those chest scenes are from the actual chess programs in Brownsville. Right. right. So that was also important for us to highlight the children that were actually doing great stuff as well and that mm. knew the game, to be quite frank, because, like, chess is a complicated game. <laughs> no, it, it definitely is. And, um, you know, there, there is a film coming out. Apparently it was shot in Miami called Critical Thinking. I don't know if you've heard of this. It was John Leguizamo. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to be a small part of that production. Uh, but, yeah, a similar theme, and that's going to be John's directorial debut. Uh, so there seems to be this sort of connection between the Latino neighborhoods and using chess as sort of a way to, you know, um, get out of a bad situation or just kind of, like, you know, progress in life. And that's I think it's amazing. And that's exactly what happened. They, they implemented these chess programs to, because some of these younger kids that were coming from lower income communities were just, you know, not, they needed something to keep them out of trouble. And so mm. it was started. And a lot of the children, especially down at the border, you know, are coming from Mexico to come to school, don't, ex- don't even speak English. And so, which, you know, doesn't matter when you play chess. You know, right. it's a game of yeah. thinking. Um, and in fact, if you speak more than one language, like some of these kids do, speaking English and Spanish, it shows that you, you have a propensity to do that kind of critical thinking. And, and, it, and it promoted discipline in their studies. Mm. So these kids that were doing well in chess started right. doing well in school, too. Uh, so we just we just loved telling that story. It was it was pretty magical. That's amazing. That's such a cool story. And now that was produced under your own production company, correct? Correct. Yeah. Right on. But then you mentioned before that you had spent quite a few years working under Maya Entertainment, right? Correct. And, uh, and obviously a few great titles from there. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the work that you produced uh, under the Maya banner as well? So we did a great little film uh, called One Hot Summer, which was basically like a Latina sex in the city about three Cuban American friends. This was set, you know, Miami. We actually shot it in Puerto Rico. Mm. Um, come together and you know we really we love that it uh, promoted the female relationships um, within the Latina community like how we even speak with each other coming in and out of Spanish and stuff I, I have right. to you know, explain that actually to the buyer that that's pretty common hmm. uh, regardless of like socioeconomic status or you know background or what have not it's kind of just a cultural thing right. uh, so that we can keep we could keep some of that Spanish at the time in the movie Um, that was important to us and that was a fun fun little film that we got to make um, in Puerto Rico I think uh, it was I felt like a little female like Latina sex in the city you know just with fun characters and a light summer film right that's yeah it seems like it and 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 you're definitely right especially in Miami and and like I said you know we, we don't do it consciously but this idea of Spanglish and just going in and out of the language just subconsciously is just part of the culture so I'm glad you were able to successfully sell that to the industry because I know it can be yeah, a bit confusing right. yeah it's those little milestones and I think we see that definitely more nowadays in content I mm. think when that movie was made um, back in I think 2009 to the 10 it was a little bit you know still unfamiliar territory so it's it's always hoping to get like those little milestones that make it a little bit more organic to the culture Culture right on so that it feels just a little bit more organic and and um, and relatable yeah and, and I definitely get sort of the bilingual element and just makes it so natural you know we had a, a sitcom here many many years ago called que pasa USA 
uh, yes. you know, which you probably remember. Uh, we have a good friend of the conference, Luis Santero, who's the head writer on that. And he talks a lot about, you know, how coming up with that dialogue and just that being so sort of organic to the culture. And, uh, and obviously you did a good job of it as well in your film and just kind of mixing culture with language, with romance, with the ideals of marriage and what that's supposed to mean, right? Right, right, exactly. A lot of fun. <laughs> so, and then we also did this little film called Taco Shop, uh, hmm. which you had Tyler Posey. <laughs> and you know, had a host of comedians in there that now you're starting to see a little bit more. And uh, the producers did such a great little job of uh, making that for a budget. And that was, again, you know, Maya, under Maya's umbrella and uh, mm. with Moctezuma, who really just wanted to get uh, a little comedy out there. Uh, so uh, we were happy to work on that one, too. And by the way, today is Tuesday, so I guess it's a Taco Tuesday. Um, yeah. I, yes. I, <laughs> I went grocery shopping today and I did get some taquitos, so I did think you just made our dinner plans today. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Uh, yeah, but that was obviously another fun, really fun movie to make. And, and I think in general, the theme I'm finding is it seems like you've had a lot of fun so far in your career making these movies, huh? Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, I, I went into this business because I loved working with creatives. And, you know, I grew up, I have these conversations with a lot of people. Like, I grew up a TV baby because both my parents worked. And, you know, I never saw myself on TV. And, um, uh, and our stories from my community. And I think that has a profound effect on our, on our culture and, and where our cultural identity mm. and, um, and our confidence and our, you know, our, our presence in this country. Right. And you know, um, it's still a difficult endeavor, but I mean, in the last 20 years, we've been making such leaps and bounds, you know, about uh, telling stories. And we have great, great producers out there and writers and directors that have been successful in doing so. So um, it was important to me. It was it was important. And, and it's a mission of mine, you know, and it's something I enjoy greatly. Mm. No, and that's that's a beautiful mission, and obviously, thank you for doing it on behalf of our community. Because yeah, we we so often go to movies, and you know, especially the Latino culture that that tends to maybe assimilate, and then you know, we see so many amazing movies and stories, and we go to movies a lot. The thing that I think in Hollywood, and you can speak to that more, um, you know, the Latino movie. The community does show up. We go to movies. We go to theaters. We buy tickets in bulk. Um, you know, we bring the whole family and abuelita and the whole clan. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, the last time I, w I remember seeing a movie with my entire family that we took up a whole row was actually Mambo Kings. Um, nice. and, and, you know, it was because it was a Cuban story and there was this thing that we hadn't experienced before. And out of nowhere, my whole family is like, we're going to go see this movie in the theater and we're going to see it together. Um, and just having more of those experiences, I think, are amazing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But, uh, but yeah, and, and I just, you know, and I'm, I'm wondering now, like, sort of the evolution of this and how to make it a more permanent part of the industry. You know, I, I talk a lot about uh, with my... My Screen Team Miami is our podcast partner. Uh, he's African-American about Tyler Perry and sort of what he's been able to do for the African-American community. And a lot of your work is, is almost like, you know, I feel like we meet kind of a Latino Tyler Perry, right? To just kind of like constantly churn out these stories. 
I mean, we have such a huge presence in this country. I mean, I don't understand really why we don't have more content, you know, for mm. all respective communities, whether it's Cuban American stories, Puerto Rican, Mexican, like we, there's room for a lot of storytelling, a lot of stories. And I, I'm constantly pushing and, 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 and inquiring, you know, with buyers, you know, when I joined inclusion, it was really to, you know, help like not just produce individual projects, but like have like a whole roster of people that I could really start to kind of get into the marketplace really at, you know, a bigger level. Cause once you can break people into the studio system, mm. it just becomes a little easier to get them to elevate within that system. Right. So is really, I've had probably conversations with over 350 buyers in the last two years, really getting them to, want to have this kind of content and the good thing is and I think you know the, the fabric of the color buyers are changing like 20 years ago you didn't really have that many I felt like diverse executives and I now that's it's changed a lot you know you do have really wonderful people of color that are that have the agenda of getting stories out there for from underrepresented communities and I uh, I I do that literally every day. I either I'm educating mm. a writer or I'm pushing a writer or pushing a director. Like these little milestones that we have to make so that we can continue to you know, have the conversation and push the narrative, which is important in order for us to really get seen properly on the big screen and small screen. Yeah, no, I agree 100 percent. And, um, you know, and, and it, it makes sense what you're saying, especially at the buyer level, at the executive level to have, you know, Latinos and Latinas who are making those sort of decisions, you know, uh, and I think that's super important. There is a great story about, you know, how you know, Black Panther ultimately got made because Marvel had made a decision to, to hire an African-American executive maybe five, six, eight years before that who just happened to be a fan of the comic and really pushed that narrative internally. And slowly it started to weave its way into the Marvel universe until we had, you know, probably one of the biggest Marvel hits they've ever had. Uh, and so I, there's no reason why the Latino, Latina, the, our, our community can't do that, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, I've had conversations with executives that have worked, like, within um, networks or studios that have a diversity component to it. And, mm. you know, they mentioned that the African-American community has been at it longer um, as far as pushing that narrative. And, and I don't think we're far behind. I think mm. there are certain things that have set us back uh, on a political stance that have been difficult for our, you know, certain communities in this country. So, right. but I think ultimately we shouldn't let that hold us up. Oh, no, I absolutely think. not. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. That's, and, and so I guess that brings me to sort of our, our final talking point of just considering the situation we're in and how the industry has even over the past few months, been evolving so quickly, you know, with the streaming wars, with all these new outlets for content. Um, yeah. And now knowing what's, you know, if you kind of follow the production trends of what's going to happen after COVID, that it's going to be the smaller indie productions that are probably going to go first. So the question is, will that create new and better opportunities for our community to put our work out there? I definitely think that's a viable point and it's something literally I was just on a virtual staff meeting with my partners about because the trends that we're seeing post-COVID are exactly that. They're either animation, mm -hmm. because animation 
can be done remotely. You don't obviously need live people for that. Um, and also smaller, more contained stories, right? Um, you do, just, I would say to keep in mind, you still have to have some familiar elements in your project, whether it's an actor of note or a director of note or you know a piece of talent of note, you still have to have those elements, at least one, mm. to get it you know in like a buyer's like point of view. Like one of my you know one of my clients did a great little film, but he doesn't really have any stars in it. So we were having some problems getting getting it sold. I mean, I think those are still realities that we can't ignore. Mm. Um, unless it's going to be a really strong festival piece right. that just has such a beautiful um, story to it that it'll transcend that, you know. But if you're talking like pragmatic marketability and selling a piece of content, you know, um, it's you have to keep those things in mind. Yeah. Or else it, it will be difficult. I mean, it's what we did when I did Endgame. You know, we went after, you know, at least having recognizable, some rec- recognizable actors because it was my director's second movie. You know, she wasn't established, established yet. Um, and those elements are what helped get the film sold. You know, right. so I right. would say you still got to keep those things in mind. Right. I wish we had more actors from our community that were considered profitable or valuable right. you know and and we try to also at inclusion by the way help launch those names either as directors writers or even uh, talent on the talent side creating those opportunities through our mucho mas um media which is our our production and finance arm as well so hmm. When those opportunities are presented, Mucho Mas will try to help those clients and put them in movies or give them a chance to direct and uh, to create those opportunities that maybe some buyers are not quite comfortable yet in doing so. Right. And that, that's a great point because, you know, obviously the, the, the Latino talent pool of what Hollywood considers bankable is a very, very small number of actors. Right. You know, obviously stars in general, very, very few. But within our community, it's an even smaller group. So, like you said, you know, it's the old adage, you know, how can I get work experience unless you give me work? Right. So, you know, you, like I think it's wise to build that talent, that stable of talent that gets recognized by the industry so that in future projects, they could say, oh, if you know, this person's in it, then we're definitely going to get behind it. Uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for that as well. Um, and, and then just, you know, sort of in terms of where do you kind of see the future of the industry in general? Um, do you think the theatrical experience is going to come back? Something that, as I mentioned before, the Latino community in the U.S. has driven very strongly? Or are we facing a new reality where exhibition is going to completely change in the next couple of years? Well, I think we're still watching that unfold. I mean, I think once there once there's a, a, a vaccine, I think mm-hmm. things might go somewhat back to normal. Right. It's hard to say at this point because that's probably still at least 12, 12 months to 12 to 18 months away. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our current present, I think like what we discussed, anything that's contained, anything that can be done on a sound stage that doesn't require, you know, um, 
shooting on location, um, anything that's an animation. I think those things that are, are really being put as a priority right now to the buyer right. that I talked to. You know. So I think those are important um, elements that can, that can serve you for the time being. TV projects are still being sold. Writers mm-hmm. for TV are still, you know, rooms are still being staffed. Um, so we haven't seen, all we've seen is that, is that there's been a bit of a, they're a bit more conservative. The rooms aren't that big now. Uh, they're not, you know, having a room for a long period of time. They're limiting the amount of writers, which always makes it difficult for upcoming writers, right? Because they right. tend to go with who they know, the more established, you know, writers. But, um, but it's still, you know, the machine is still moving forward. Uh, right. It's uh, at a more cautionary, cautious kind of level at this point. No, you're, you're right. And I think a lot of that has to do with more sort of maybe technical, logistical business reasons, you know, insurance being one of them, you know, just kind of like making sure that you're covered, uh, you know, God forbid something happens when you're on set, someone gets sick. So, but I think once the, the industry gets its sort of confidence back, uh, I, I foresee a future where there'll be a lot more of these smaller productions and hopefully a lot more voices, even though the actual crews and cast will be less per project, there'll just be a higher volume because of the demand for content that we're seeing. Yeah, and there was an article, I think it was on it was on deadline on Sunday. I would urge you to and the viewers to take a look at it was it spoke about two specific productions that it come, uh, resumed. One was in Iceland hmm. and what they had done to kind of ensure that people were safe um, and that it was apparently working, you know, but there were two specific examples of what they and what they implemented that I think people were kind of looking at and, and assessing to see if that was a viable option for productions moving forward. Yes. And then obviously eventually we want to get back to one hot summer and have romantic scenes again, right? Because... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that can't go away. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get there. But, uh, you know, this has been an amazing chat, Sandra, and I just want to appreciate and thank you again for your time uh, and for joining us here on MMFM Digital. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, stay safe and we'll get there. <laughs> yes. No, we definitely will. We will. One way or another. We're back oh, from that oh, yeah. incredible interview. Yeah, that was a fun one. I had a lot of fun chatting with Sandra. So many cool little movies that she's made, you know, that's uh, culturally specific things that have such universal appeal. So she's doing some great work over there. Yeah. Yeah. Great job, man. Really to feel, you know, what she has done in the industry and ind- indelible mark that she's left so far. And, you know, looking forward to what she has coming up and what she's going to do moving into the future. So future thinking we are Screen Heat Miami, and we cover many, many, many sectors of the industry. Many screens. And we are bringing today someone we haven't heard from in a while, intern Andre, to hip us on what's happening in the gaming industry, which has become even more important in this shutdown environment. Intern Andre, we don't have our... Uh, our, we're not in the Screen Heat studio, so we don't have our intern Andre intro. So uh, I just back. have to give you a clap, a clap in. Yeah, welcome yes. back. Hip hey. us, hip hey. us, intern Andre, hip what us. What do you got? What do you got? Well, um, 
you say you wanted to talk about gaming during the COVID shutdown. And uh, honestly, um, online gaming, as famous as it's been, has become a little more important. Um, I'm not a huge online shooter, but even I have gotten into the new Call of Duty. It's free. And um, the online aspect is, is completely free. And I get to play with my friends. It doesn't cost any money. Um, other than that, um, there's a, there's a, there's a very famous, uh, gaming, uh, what's it called? A gaming tournament for Super Smash Brothers. It's called Evo and it takes place in Las Vegas. And this year it had to be canceled because of COVID, you know, they couldn't have everyone go. So they decided to do that online as well. And, and it's, I think it takes place at the end of this month. Uh, but you know, it, they're, they're, they're trying their best to keep on doing all these gaming things from the comfort of, of, of your own home. They canceled the E3, the E3 convention this year, which I was super bummed about. I love E3 and I love watching the, the, the streams from home, but Hey, they're still doing streams just separately. And again, I, I, I can't go to California every year. So I watch it from home anyway. We're going to have to send you there next year, intern Andre. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. (laughs) That'd be super cool. Um, Yeah, and then I think what's changed a little bit because of the shutdown, I think single-player story mode games have been able to flourish in this time because a lot of people – you know, a lot of people, they now work from home or sadly can't work right now. So they have more time on their hands. And these these story mode games, you know, they kind of they kind of take up your time. And, and you know, you got to put 30 to almost 60 hours into this game just to finish it. Um, the Last of Us 2 just came out for the PlayStation. And the first one was incredible. It's 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 like it's one of those games that, you know, convinces people that video games are art as well. It's a, it's cinematic. It's the graphics are beautiful. It's, it's a zombie game, but not, not, not a last, I mean, walking dead type zombies. It's like, it's got to do with like family and, 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 you know, not only the zombies, but like the monsters that are humans as well. And, and it's, 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 it's been blowing up as well. You know, people have been playing, have had the time to play through that game and sit down and, and take in the story and, and really digest the social aspect and, and, and the political, not agenda, but political side of that game because more people have time to play games like that. Um, other, other than that, nothing really negative has happened because of COVID to gaming. I think, honestly, it's it, it's kind of helped other things flourish. The only thing I would say was a negative is is, is canceling the E3 convention. Right. Than, yeah. But yeah, I mean, obviously. That's, that, that's all industries, though. So, yeah. you know, we have, to, we have to really look at – I had a – one of my films was, you know, selected to – 
for me, you know, a festival I was really, really looking forward to going to. The Russo brothers, you know, put up money for the the winner of that. Um, and Sl Slam Dance Emergence, you know, is one of the coolest festivals around there in LA. But um, you know, a lot of these things, you know, are just going to have to you know happen after this is all said and done. I did just want to add one one more thing to the gaming Fortnite which is doing some interesting things has become a, a, a unique platform for promotion. I know uh, Travis Scott just debuted, uh, you know, a, a big part of what he was doing with his latest album on yeah. Fortnite. So that connectivity, you know, that you can have now with these games has become more uh, prescient and important because, yeah. you know, people are clamoring for connection. I think that, you know, as a, as a race, we are about the connectivity more than anything. So, I think that it really does give uh, um, a respite in these times. Um, even for my company, we are, are in development of a video game for my project, The Beach Chronicles. So if you go to you know the com my company's website, uh, kajikmultimedia.com, you could see a little bit of uh, the beginnings of that development. Actually, we're not just beginning. We've been working on it for a while of that development because you know the gaming industry, I think, it has been on the rise for a while and I don't think it's going anywhere and I think in this time it's become even more important so thank you intern Andre for crushing it once again absolutely Boom. thanks thank and you. and uh we will see you in the next couple of weeks absolutely all right take care stay safe intern Andre we're looking forward to your next review across the multi screens that you are so immersed in right now right? yes sir and um, we move on here at Screen Heat. Yes, the Emmys. The Emmys. So the Emmys, are, the Emmys are still happening. I mean, um, I did see something interesting, BET. They had the BET Awards uh, two weeks ago, and they did it virtually. It was pretty cool. You know, I think what they did is they built, you know, onto some sound stages, and I think some people also did it from their homes um, for their performances. So it was really cool. A lot of people are saying it was one of the best BET awards um, ever, really. Hmm. Because the, the performances were more personalized and they almost kind of felt like music videos in a lot of the performances, you know? Um, and certainly, you know, to have that specific kind of performance and, um, you know, the host was amazing. And of course, um, and I'm a little bit biased, the voice of the BET awards, MC Light, who uh, did my project, The Beach Chronicles. Um, she crushes it every year too. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, something very unique. And I think it's probably something that, you know, will carry on after this whole uh, COVID situation. And I'm looking probably for the Emmys to uh, use a lot of that as a model. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody knows right now, you know, in the fall, what the situation is going to look like, but I think what, something that the entertainment industry is great at is being creative and pivoting and using you know, our various pieces of technology and media to uh, create an event that fits within the current construct of our reality, right? So if there is a chance to do a live portion of it, they will, I'm sure. But if it has to go totally virtual, they can do that as well. And I think that the industry is smart and nimble enough to be able to make those adjustments. And like you said, based on the different specials and award shows that have gone totally virtual, there is now precedent for really doing a great, great event that can be done completely remotely or a hybrid of both. And I think everything from Andre mentioned conferences to uh, film production, the way we do things in terms of development and even award 
shows can either become hybrids, fully virtual, a mix of both. But I think the digital element has actually evolved our industry and there'll be parts of it that if they're working well, even when we're all in the clear, we could continue to see very robust virtual components to these live events. Yeah. And I was looking forward to, I mean, I know Jimmy Kimmel has had, um, you know, a little bit of a, uh, uh, kerfuffle there, uh, yeah. that, uh, we won't, we won't mention at this moment, but I think that he'll make an extraordinary host. And, um, you know, this has been a, as every year, you know, but it's been, I, and I've really loved, uh, you know, the rise of the, the streamers and, and, um, you know, this type of content that, although, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. I still love the big four, ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, Fox, you know, those networks. And they really still, you know, they do their thing. Uh, Peacock is coming out. So I'm interested to see how they roll out some of that content. If it's going to be, you know, more adult centered content, because you have then that ability to kind of go out of a lot of those parameters that are, uh, you know, stipulated by the FCC. Uh, but, uh, with the streamers and the type of content that comes from the streamers and cable, you know, the, you don't have a lot of the barriers. So then you have shows that push the limits and push the boundaries. And I've been really happy with, you know, a lot of the offerings that have developed over time. And I just want to mention a few that um, have a lot of buzz. And I wanted to add, you know, some differentiation in there. Um, so I'm just going to start with the morning show, which is on uh, Apple. I think it's their best offering so far. You know, the, Apple hasn't been as robust because they have to build their catalog. Um, but the morning show, I think, has been uh, um, one of their, an extraordinary hit for any uh, network. But for Apple, uh, I think it's going to be like their, their, their go-to A Emmy show. And that's Jennifer Aniston. Um, she spearheads that. Um, it's done by the production company of uh, Reese, Reese Witherspoon. She's really doing a lot of incredible things. Um, Big Little Lies and um, Little Fires Everywhere, which is an Amazon show, which I think Little Fires Everywhere is going to have a nod as well. Um, and then um, Devs, which is on Hulu, loved that show, loved it. It really has a feel. It evokes a mood and um, it really, you, you know, begs the question of existence. And... You know, from that director, you know, Ex Machina, and the list goes on and on, um, his kind of existential slant has just evolved and been fine-tuned and refined, and it really is there in devs. Um, Homecoming, brilliant. You know, this is the second season of Homecoming. Um, and actually, one thing that I love about Homecoming is we have... Um, one of our uh, one of our hometown homeboys that uh, is one of the people that uh, directed and spearheaded a lot of that show, uh, Kyle Patrick Alvarez, who hmm. actually went to the University of Miami. The U. The U. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. So Kyle Patrick Al Alvarez uh, was the big uh, director for season two. Um, along with Sam Esmail, who is one of my favorites, you know, Mr. Robot. And of course. Yeah, I remember JL, we saw Mr. Robot really, really early on. Uh, they debuted uh, a Mr. Robot here at, um, at the, the big conference here. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, Kyle Patrick Alvarez, uh, he was a judge at the Miami Film Festival three years ago. Uh, met him there. Great conversations. Um, awesome. Have messaged him back and forth a couple of few times. I have to message him to, you know, let him know how much I love the show um, for this season. Oh, and I'll move on from Homecoming. And yeah. I want to hear maybe one of your favorites, JL. Oh, gosh, there's been a few. Like I mentioned, I think before a little bit, I'm kind of into the new Perry Mason remake now on HBO. I think that's really just high quality in terms of the visual storytelling and the way they kind of really depict a 1930s L.A. It's so gritty and it just feels very visceral. I really am digging that show a lot. And so that's one of my favorites. There's a foreign language show actually from Italy called Curon. It's a limited series for Netflix that I really like as well. And uh, so I've been, I've been binging on that one, just finished the first season and uh, trying to think what else is out there. Uh, one that we have in common, you're going to talk to the Mandalorian. Absolutely loved it. I think by far the best offering so far on Disney plus. So, you know, that's, uh, I'll let you take the last couple ones and then, you know, we, yeah, can... I, we did mention the Mandalorian, which was just brilliant, brilliant. Um, Definitely one of Disney Plus's, you know, biggest shows coming out of the gate. Oh, yeah. I always have to go back to Pose. Uh, breakthrough. Mm. Breakthrough show. Um, dynamic. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, some of my favorite actors that come from that show. And right. the last one I wanted to mention was the Clark Sisters, because okay. that has Emmy Buzz going into it. That was a, a show based off of the Clark sisters' gospel singers. Mm. Um, it was a Lifetime. So that one, I think, especially for Lifetime originals, has stood out from the other Lifetime originals. And that has a lot of Oscar buzz. And that one hits home because uh, my mother grew up with the Clark sisters. Maddie Moss oh, wow. Clark, who is the mother of the Clark sisters, she was the uh, director of my grandfather's choir. He was a bishop in Michigan over like 77 churches and stuff like that. So he, she was a musical director of my grandfather's choir. Um, I interviewed Jackie Clark. Um, my mom grew up with uh, the Clark sisters, the Winans and like, you know, those kind of musical families and she could sing like a bird herself. So I'm, you know, hoping that this show um, really gets the presence that it deserves. Gospel oh, absolutely. music has been such a, a, a such a um, strong current in American music in general, and so much has been borrowed from gospel music. My company, we've been in development on um, a gospel documentary. Jackie Clark was one of the interviews of that. Ronald Winans, we interviewed him as well. So, you know, I'm really looking for that one to uh, to go off and, and and do well. And you know, I have to tip my hat off. To, uh, to Lifetime for kind of making something that really, really stands out in that kind of way. So I think this Emmys is really gonna, you know, hit home. And hopefully, you know, they, they follow that BET model. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much, you know, as Kevin mentioned, just rattle off just a handful of names, so much great content, episodic out there, as well as films and all sorts of great things coming out. So, you know, I think there's so much to look forward to. Obviously, we look forward to bringing you a whole nother week of Screen Heat Miami. We're not going to say who our next guest is. It'll be a surprise. But of course, until then, I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm JL Martinez. And intern Andre is still here with us. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Andre. And we'll see intern, you on the next you. one. There you go. Happy streaming.